Good morning, church. I am so excited to be with you today. You might notice that things are a little different when you came in. Uh, today we get to break bread together. We are gonna take communion together. It's gonna be a sweet Sunday. I won't actually be up here that long. I think you'll rejoice for that. Um, so it's gonna be a good, good morning. We are finishing our Revitalized series, and so if you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter two, uh, we're gonna start there like we normally do. Um, at the start here, I wanna say, as we talk about the early church and we talk about communion today, I don't want you to hear it with a sense of chastisement. Like it's not here, this isn't a reprimand in any way or like, hey, we, didn't, we don't do communion like the early church, so we're worse off than they are. That's, it's nothing like that. I want you to more receive it with open hands and the idea that just maybe God has more for us. And it doesn't mean we're doing bad. It just means if God has more, like we want it, right? Like if I invited you up here and I told you I have a million dollars in my pocket. Justin, I have a million dollars in my pocket. I want to give it to you, brother. Right? And so you come up and I take the wad of money out of my pocket and I just start laying down hundreds. Right? This is, I like this fantasy too, by the way. Um, but at $200, you wouldn't go, that's enough, bro. Right? There's no reason to. And that, that's the point. Like, we're not under, I'm not saying we're under God's judgment because we're not doing communion correctly. I'm saying let's look at what God has for us and let's go after all of it together because I want to experience the full life that Jesus promised that we would have in him. All right? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this is your morning, and we are your people, and we pray that you would fill us, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to the full, to be able to receive from your heart and your hand. God, and we proclaim that today is a good day to say that you are good. You are worthy of all honor, glory, and praise today. In the midst of celebrations, successes, failures, God, bad news, good news, cancer, uh, you name it, Jesus, you're still on the throne. And so we praise you this morning and invite you to speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, Acts 2. All right, now, these words should be familiar to you at this point, so let's not, like, let's not just receive them as familiar. Let's attend to what they say. So you have this new community that... <clears throat> sorry, has been given a new purpose in Jesus. They've been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, they're preaching the gospel. Miracles are happening. 3,000 people come to know Christ, and they're living this out together. And this is what it says about them in Jerusalem. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So there's four things there that they devote themselves to. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, all of them, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And each day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, so they were devoted to teaching, right, to prayer. And those are things that we understand as part of church pretty easily, so we know that. But the other two things they were devoted to was fellowship and the breaking of bread. And I would argue that the breaking of bread means communion together. It definitely means meals together. And they were so, it was as important to them, hear me, as teaching and prayer. And the word fellowship itself is a weird church word, and we're like, what do we even do with that word, right? I think some of you probably grew up in a church with a fellowship hall, where you might have had a potluck, right, dinner. Is that what we're talking about? Well, the word fellowship itself means intimate partnership. Intimate partnership. You can even use it for intercourse. Like, it's, it's a word that you can use for that. And the idea that they had fellowship together means that they had a sense of shared unity and purpose in life, and they were co-joined together in their lives in the Holy Spirit. And we see this because they're meeting not just at the temple, but every day in each other's homes. And that word fellowship is actually where our word, in our tradition, we say the word communion, where that word comes from. It means fellowship with God and with one another. Other words for communion are Eucharist. Have you heard that word before? It's a more high church, liturgical word. It just means thanksgiving. I like that word too because it means thanksgiving. And maybe Paul uses the word, we're gonna see this later, the word the Lord's Supper, meaning it came from Jesus. It's something he gave us to do and he's in this with us. All right, all good, all good names for what we can expect. In uh, Jude, um, we see that there's this idea that comes, and this is going to be a little off the wall, but have you ever heard the word agape feast? When you got the email this week and said we were going to have an agape feast together. Actually, the, Jude talks about it, and he's like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, we're not quite sure, but a little tens of years after this time of the early church, and he says... He's actually calling out these, there's actually false teachers in the church, and they're preaching this false gospel saying, because God's grace is so awesome, you can just do whatever you want. You can sin. And God's grace is bigger than that. So let's go sin, let's have a great time, and then let's just be under God's grace. We'll do whatever we want. And, and Judah's like, he's so outraged that these people would teach and think this way, and then at the same time, come into the agape feast. And there's a sense for Jude that the agape feast is holy and sacred. How could they live like this and then come into this moment and pretend like nothing happens? And so for, for the early church, like ordinary things, and this is, this is what I want us to think about, right? This is where the rubber meets the road for us. Ordinary things like meals, they become feasts of God's love. They become communion. They're opportunities for the presence and the person of Jesus to show up in the church, right? Because we are the church, and you know that wherever we go, the church is. And why is that? It's because we in ourselves have been given the spirit of God, so we are temples. Have you not heard it says in 1 Corinthians 
3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And then there's this idea in the New Testament, Ephesians 2 talks about it, verse 22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And the idea is this, you, if you belong to Jesus, if you put your faith in him, his death, his resurrection, you've confessed with your mouth that he is Lord, you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit within you. But when you get together with someone else who also has the Holy Spirit in them, then the Holy Spirit is not just in you and in them, but it's in us. And each time the church gathers, it's a unique opportunity and expression of God's presence and his purpose and his person, right? It's amazing. And so what happens? What happens is that coffee at Starbucks, right? There's a new opportunity there. Our small group is an opportunity for God's presence. And if we could think like the early church, they would tell us, whenever you're together, whenever you're together, ordinary things, ordinary things just become church. They just become where we expect the person and the movement of God. And I don't know about you, but I want the kingdom of God in my life. I want his rule, his reign. I want to experience the reality of who he is in my everyday life, not just here. And this is what they're telling us. That's possible. That's what God has come for you to have. That's the abundant life that we're talking about. So how do we incorporate this into our lives? How do we start to think differently? Even for families, right, at dinner time, like a meal becomes an opportunity. Now, some of you have kids, and that makes mealtime craziness. And I used to have all these expectations about like what a Christian family would do, and I would dream about that when we were looking at adoption. And then we brought our foster daughter in. She was a teenager. And like every expectation I had just went out the window immediately. Like getting to the table was like a huge win. Win number one, we actually sat down together. Win number two is could you take your headphones off, right? And if we could get the headphones off and forget like we're going to have this prayer time, we're going to talk about Jesus and we're just going to encourage you with God's truth. No, we just want you to know we're alive in the same building with you. And that's awesome, right? So, and I know that's real. Like, there's a challenge when we talk about bringing this kind of thinking into everyday life. There are challenges. But it doesn't mean we give up. And it doesn't mean we, we don't stop looking for God to invade the ordinary because he is present with us. And dinner, at, at some point, even amidst a bunch of crazy kids, may just turn into a worship service. Right, so how do we bring this into our everyday life? Because God wants to bring the holy into the ordinary. He wants to bring the holy into the ordinary. And as a kid, as a kid I thought holy meant serious. And it actually had a lot to do with how we did communion because um, you know, that's a holy moment and we're just gonna get really serious and you're gonna confess all the horrible things you did to God this past week right now. 
And then you better remember them all um, because this is serious. And if you did a bunch of bad things, then I just felt like, man, maybe I don't even deserve communion. And that was totally wrong, and no one taught me that. I was just a kid with bad thinking, okay? Um, but turn now to first, our second passage, 1 Corinthians 11. Because Paul does give us some instruction about communion. And um, we're going to let this kind of inform us how we think about communion meals together. 1 Corinthians 11. Actually, before we get there, well, as you're turning, you can still go there. Um, bringing the holy into ordinary. So um, I used to, I've been back on staff at this church for, I think this is year six about. Um, and I actually grew up part of my life here at Moraine. I think in eighth, eighth, no, third grade when I was eight, my parents started dropping me off for kids clubs. And I met some friends there who actually I stayed friends with like all of my life. They're still my friends today. And uh, we actually served in youth group together. We were student leaders. Uh, we served in college together. Um, we, both, we loved Jesus. We would hang, I would hang out with my church friends all the time. They were like my, my closest friends growing up. But we never really talked about Jesus in our relationship, if I'm honest. And I'm a high school guy, right? So, like, I remember um, a friend and I would just, we would literally go to Kmart when uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came out. And it was this game you could, like, skateboard in a video game. And this, to us, was amazing because we tried to skateboard in real life, and he was better than me, but I was terrible. As you can see, I'm not really built for skateboarding. So in, in this game, we could do things we couldn't do. And we would spend hours at Kmart as adults playing video games. We couldn't afford it for ourselves. And, uh, and the kids would come up and we'd be like, dude, get lost. I'm bigger than you and I'm playing this game for hours. You know what I'm saying? Like we would wait, I had so, we had so much time together. And at some point in college, we said, we were playing basketball once a week, a bunch of guys, we said, what if, what if after we played basketball we just talked about Jesus and how we're doing with the Lord, what we're struggling with. And we just prayed for each other. And that changed those relationships completely. And so we would actually sneak into the women's bathroom here after playing basketball in the gym because they had couches. So I'm sorry, ladies, that was a long time ago, though, okay? Bunch of sweaty dudes in the women's bathroom. This is bad news. Uh, but you know what, this is weird to say, but God showed up for a bunch of college guys in a women's bathroom, <laughs> right? And he, he, he started to change the way we thought about our friendship. And that really made a huge impact on my life. And all it was is bringing Jesus in relationships that I already had with him to the forefront, right there. And said, let's make our following Jesus the most important thing about our life together. So many of you want that, and you have friends. Like, be the one that suggests that in your group. Hey, guys, I know we, we hang out and we have a blast together. Why don't we just start reading the Bible together? Why don't we just start doing accountability together? Why don't we just start talking about the questions we have about our faith, right? We're placed together to be devoted to one another and like a thing as simple as hanging out can become holy and God can show up. 
and it becomes hanging out with him. And it's just awesome. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11. Now this, this here is instructions to the church in Corinth about communion and their agape feast. And you'll see it's not going well. Now this church is about 20 years after the church in Acts, okay? So from the time of Acts 2, where they're just doing everything awesome, the gospel has now begun to move outward. It's left Jerusalem, it's made its way to the Gentiles, it's made its way to Corinth, and you have this church in Corinth with these, uh, they have rich or wealthier people, and they have poorer people, and most likely during the week, they're meeting at one of the richer or wealthier people's homes in what they would call a common room that was set up for a lot of people to come and have a meal. And so at the end of the day, they would get together for this meal, and Paul starts with this. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, can you believe, this is a bad thing to hear, by the way. Paul's your founding pastor, and he writes back to you, he's like, hey guys, when you get together, it makes things worse. Right, yikes. And this is why, for in the first place, this is the first reason, when you come together as a church, I hear there's divisions among you. And I believe in part, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Meaning, there's some of you that are divided over like wrong ideas and practice even. You're fighting for things that aren't even God's intention for us. Divisions among you. Okay, so that's bad, by the way. If you didn't know to be divided is bad, God wants us to be unified in Christ Jesus. And sometimes that takes hanging out with each other, time together, a meal. I mean, when you experience the presence of God with something, with someone else, that heals. Can you imagine, I just think about Jesus and um, after the last chapter of Luke, He's, uh, he's resurrected, but he, there's these two guys going to Emmaus, and uh, on the road, they're distraught, and Jesus comes up next to him, and he, he explains to them all that has to happen, that he had to die, and uh, he, uh, they invite him in for a meal, and they sit down at a table together, and at the table, Jesus breaks bread, and it's like his, they, they just, their eyes light up and they experience the presence of God. They know it's him. And they run, they run to the disciples, and they're like, this guy Simon, whose house was, they said, Simon has seen the risen Lord. He saw him when he broke bread. And like in this meal, God becomes present. Or I think of, I think of Peter at the end of the, the Gospel of John, and Peter is back to fishing. Back to fishing even though he was a prominent apostle. And it says it's the third time Jesus, the risen Jesus has showed up and he's still fishing. And there's a, again a miraculous catch and Jesus says, hey Peter, come have breakfast with me. Come sit with me, let's have a meal together. And they have this meal and it must be like just a healing thing for Peter to think that Jesus still wants to sit with me. And then Jesus reestablishes him for ministry. See, like, 
hanging out together, meals can be actually healing things. And so the early church, they got to linger in along a meal in their communion. And we don't actually, our life is so fast-paced that we don't take time to do that often. We're going to take time to do it today, though, which is part of why all those tables are set up. We'll get to that in a minute. I forget where I am, though. I'm so excited. Okay, there, yeah, there was divisions, right? Okay. Moving on in the passage, verse 20. He says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So there is a meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. So there's enough wine, by the way, that you can get drunk. There's enough food that no one should go hungry. That's, that's the instruction. That's how it should be um, for this church right here. Um, but their practice is wrong. And, it, and it's interesting because he says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you take together. This isn't communion. But it's not the way that they're going through the ritual. It's the way that they're having a meal together that's wrong. So the way they eat together is why Paul calls them out. It goes on in verse 22. And I love the beginning of this verse. It just says, what? With the next, like, What? Like, this is craziness. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, 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 this isn't good. I will not. So, despise the church of God. Like, Paul recognizes, because these are people who have put their faith in Jesus, and so they, they have the spirit of God in them, this is still the church when they gather. But they have chosen to humiliate those who have nothing. Meaning there are people showing up who need this food. And how different is this than what we saw in Acts 2? Do you remember? Everyone, everyone's needs were met. I mean, so, so different. This isn't this isn't the Lord's Supper. It's not an agape feast. It's nothing like Acts 2 where they were devoted, devoted to one another. Now, now I, we don't know exactly for sure what the situation is, but some scholars would say, let me just paint a picture for you. I, I'm not going to say this is biblical, but some scholars think this is, this is the picture. So you have uh, a church in Corinth. You have people who are uh, maybe... Poor people, they're day laborers or servants, indentured servants, who knows? Um, they're the serving class. And then you have wealthy people, the merchant class or whatever. And so what happens is those people have different work days. And so the wealthier people would, would show up first, and they're the ones who brought most of the food. And uh, they would get there in the common room ready for the meal. They're the church of Jesus. And um, they would just start without those who had to come later. And by the time those people showed up, they had eaten so much and drank so much that there's no food left, and they're drunk. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds ridiculous. And, and, and so, but that's what's going on. Now, move on, verses 23 to 26. And you're gonna, this is gonna help us understand why this meal is connected to communion. It says, for I received, Paul is now giving the instruction 
that he received from Jesus the apostles. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup when? After supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I'm not, I don't think this is telling us how to do communion in the sense that every time we do communion, we have to have a meal. But I'm telling you that for this church in Corinth, how it worked was they would break bread at the beginning of their time. This is what they're supposed to do, at least. Break bread at the beginning of their time together and remember the body of Jesus. And then they had a meal together and then they drank the cup and remembered the blood of Jesus. And that makes sense because that's how Jesus did it because he did it in the midst of a meal, the Passover meal. And we could spend more time on that, but that's just how they're practicing it at this point. So can you imagine they, they break bread and they say, this is, the, this is Jesus' body for us and some people aren't even there yet, right? Bread is Jesus' body given for us. And we take it with thanksgiving. And um, we do it, we take it in remembrance of him. Come back to that word, cup. The cup of, of juice, wine in their case, right? Represents the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant that God has made for us in Christ Jesus. And we drink it in remembrance of him. What does it mean to remember? Now, in, in our tradition, we have a high tradition on memorializing. We remember what Jesus went through for us. And that's not bad. That's a good thing to remember what the cost was. But we also, to remember means to bring to mind Jesus, remember Jesus. And so I would imagine for these early, for the early church especially, they were bringing to mind Jesus and what he said and what he did and who he was. Remember Jesus? Remember that one time? Right, we were like on the water and the waves were crazy and he was like, uh, be still. And they were like, okay, right? They didn't talk like that at all probably. But I mean, but can you imagine re- going through those events. I remember when the apostles told us this about Jesus. They're remembering not just his death, but his person, his teachings, his resurrection, that he was alive. Remember what he said, like he's with us now. He's alive. Adoration, thanksgiving, humility, worship, praise, that's, that's what I think of. And then also Paul says, how often do we do this? As often as you drink this cup. Now, this is a pretty normal meal for them, by the way. Can you imagine, like, if, like, we just started eating bread and, like, juice or wine as a meal? And every single time we did it, with friends, with our families, we just started remembering Jesus. Or you're out at an Italian restaurant, and you break bread, and you're like, hey, I'm just going to remember right now. 
I'm not saying we have to do that, but like, maybe we can start to think differently about the way we eat and differently about our time together. How do we bring and attend to the presence of Jesus? Like Jesus is present with us at all times, but we aren't present to him at all times. The invitation is to take our life and become present to Jesus in everything so that we become aware of his presence and live in light of his presence in all things for his glory. And the truth is, that's not a hard or suffering work. That's a beautiful thing because in God's presence and by his spirit, there's joy and peace and hope and life. It's a beautiful thing. Finally, he says, when you, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we take communion, it reminds us that um, he's coming again. We have a king who's not finished yet. I don't know if you know this. This is good. What we're going to do out there is good, but there's something better coming. And we're going to sit down at a table and, and drink and eat with him again, face to face. That's a good promise. Lastly, this passage, going to verse 27, he gives some more instructions. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you had died. This is in the Bible. I didn't write this. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for, for judgment. It's possible to do this in an unworthy manner, to do it unrightly. And if we do that, we should expect to be disciplined, that we should expect judgment. And that just means, that's not like because God's heart is to, to hurt us. It means that you, you have to understand God's heart for this is huge. This is a big deal to him. This matters to him. So it says, um, uh, my translation says we'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Some translations say guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. And I'm fine with that translation because I think the idea is that this, is, this thing is set apart for God. It's holy. And to profane something is to take something holy and just render it as like no big deal. To, to use it like it's common. So guys, this is, this is what we do with communion, Right? This right here makes it easy to think it's common, but it's not. It's not a common thing that we do. It's holy. And so then he gives invitation, examine, two invitations. I want you to see them in the text, right? It says, let a person examine himself. So this, and we do this in our tradition. We take time, we say, God, where's my heart before you? And I don't, I don't want you to hear like, uh, when I was a kid and I was like, oh man, I, I did all these stupid things this week. I don't even deserve you, Jesus. I don't deserve you. The point is not that. The point is to examine your heart and to return to the Lord. 
God's not looking at you with judgment or shame. He's, he's looking at you with an invitation. Yeah, you messed up. You're human, I know. And I, I made you that way so that you would come to me when you need help. And so we run to the arms of Jesus. We claim the blood of Christ. And we receive grace and mercy. That's the invitation. And then the second is uh, discern the body. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I, I think what that means, I really think it means, based on this text, the body of Christ, the people of God. And it's like when we do communion, like when we take meals together, if we're not aware of one another in a way that says we love and care for one another, like if you take communion and you got something else going on with someone else in the body that you haven't settled, that's not a good thing. Like, we need to be aware. How we eat this meal out here together today matters for what we do right now and here. It's all connected. I don't know how far to take that, church. Like, how we do, does how we do meals together and how we're aware of one another throughout the week, how we care for one another as a church, does that impact how our communion on Sundays looks to God? It may. And I don't say that with judgment. Like, I, I think there's an invitation in here to dig deeper together. So when we're out here in a few minutes, I wanna invite you, sit with someone you, you don't normally sit with, right? Don't be afraid to make space for people you don't know. The, every person here should have a place at the table. Every person, regardless of whatever, you name it, right? Maybe there's someone you need to sit with because you need some healing soup time together, all right? That's fine. Go find that person. Invite them to sit with them. Don't just sit with your family. Don't just sit with your friends. We are the people of God, and God's presence is here.